You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have UFC Fight Night, Font versus Garbrandt, preview predictions and analysis taking place tonight, May 22nd, from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, with a bantamweight main event for the ages between two top five ranked contenders. Up first, the number three ranked Rob Font, representing the New England cartel, coming in off of a huge first-round knockout victory over Magic Marlon Morice, and he is going up against the former reigning, defending UFC bantamweight champion, number four-ranked Cody No Love Garbrandt. Coming into this fight with a record of 12 victories and three defeats compared to Rob Font's record of 18 victories and four defeats. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, how's everybody doing tonight? I hope you like that intro. And if you couldn't tell, I am extremely, extremely excited for this main event tonight. This is one of the best main events of the entire year. And it's just... It's such a good fight from top to bottom. Font and Garbrandt are very similar in their approaches while also being very different in the way they may approach the fights against certain opponents. I'll explain more when we get to the prediction, and I'm sure you'll understand. They fight in a similar style, more boxing heavy with some low kicks and high kicks mixed in, but it's mainly a boxing fight. They're both going to stand you know, heavy on that lead leg and, and try to throw bombs at each other and see which one of them falls. But obviously there's a lot more to it than that. And we'll talk about that when we get to the prediction for the main event. You uh, had a fight fall out on the card, I believe. Um, and then Bill Elgio and Ricardo Hamos filled in for it. I can't remember exactly which fight it was that fell out. Hold on. Uh, Here we go. I think it's not you. Uh, there was a fight that a fight fell out. Hold on. Let me look this up. It was supposed to be on the main card, and then it. Uh, oh, you know what happened was um, it was supposed to be David. Uh, what's his name? Here I have it right here. Um, David Vorak was supposed to fight um, an opponent, and then his opponent ended up falling out, and they had to fill in with somebody else, but they went down to the prelims. So that's what happened. So this is uh, this is a good card, you know, and, and the fact that Bill Elgio and uh, Ricardo Hamos got put on the main card to open it up, I think that was a great move. Um, that added a little bit to the card. I think that the David Dvorak fight was going to be great, you know, and I spent a lot of time on the prediction or on this tape study for that fight. So it does kind of suck the fact that it's kind of, that it's been canceled, but it's still a great fight. And uh, now, like I said, we've got that. We've got Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shabazi, and you've got the former featherweight title challenger, Felicia Spencer, going up against a rising prospect in the 145-pound division in Norma Dumont. You've got a heavyweight bout between Justin Taffa and Jared Vandera. And you've got the co-main event between Yan Zhao Nan, the number three-ranked strawweight, going up against the number four-ranked Carla Cookie Monster Esparza. So 
all that with the, the, the creme de la creme on top, you know, with the uh, main event between Font and Garbrandt. It, it's just a great card. Um, it starts early tonight, so it's 6 p.m. Central time for the main card, and I believe 4 p.m. Central time for the prelims. So, you know, wherever you're at, just figure out the time zones, and it's an early card tonight. It's not going to be on actual ESPN. It's only going to be on ESPN+. Plus. But, you know, I think it's time to get this prediction, these predictions going, huh? It's, it's time to get it popping. So let's start off in the featherweight division with Bill El Senor Perfecto, Perfecto Elgio, who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and five defeats, going up against Ricardo Hamos who comes into this fight with a record of 14 victories and three defeats. So based off of records, Hamos has the better record, but that doesn't mean that this fight is not going to be extremely competitive. Hamos is coming off a loss to Lerone the Miracle Murphy, which is a fight I did pick against him in. Um, you know, just the boxing and the, the range management of Murphy and his ability to land vicious, vicious ground and pound shots on Hamos when he was taken down. Um, and kind of just get nullified with his great Brazilian jiu-jitsu game and his ability to take the back and sink the hooks in and get the rear naked choke. That was all nullified by the ability of Lerone Murphy to manage the distance, to step in and out at the perfect time, to land his shots, and then finally to get takedowns on Hamos and just use heavy top pressure and brutal, brutal ground and pound to uh, put a stamp on that fight and put him away in the first round. When it comes to Bill El Senor Perfecto, Elgio Perfecto, I'm sorry, Elgio, he's coming into this fight off of a win, off of a win over Spike Carlisle um, in, a, in a grueling fight. You know, it was a fight that could have gone either way, but after the first round and Carlisle kind of, you know, just exploding with the wrestling and trying to take him down and then getting a bulldog choke and almost getting the submission, but Elgio was able to turn into the choke, turn out, and then finally use that to get top position and roll into taking his back and you know, putting the shin across the back of the calf and in type in like a referee type and a type of referee position from amateur wrestling. If you're an amateur wrestler, you know what that is. That's the position where you start the match out in when uh, there's a position loss or something like that or a foul. But uh, LGO, you know, he he's a showy style of fighter. He's he's got the he's got the charisma. He's got the the ability to show off a little bit in the cage, whether it's him, you know, looking away far in the distance after he lands a shot or having the opponent throw a shot at him, he slips or pulls out of the way, steps back, looks away, boom, pops you with a jab. Um, he's got good kicks, whether it's a spinning back kick to the body or high kicks from either southpaw or orthodox. When you look at a guy like Elgio, he does tend to rest in clinch positions, whether it's over under or double unders up against the cage. He did this against Spike Carlisle, where he kind of just sacrificed this position to get Spike Carlisle's muscles tired, get that extra blood and extra oxygen that the muscles need to then, you know, obviously what happened later on in the fight where he was able to, uh, where he was able to, um, you know, tire him out and eventually get the advantage in the grappling positions against a much bigger, stronger guy in Spike Carlisle. The problem with uh, LGO against a guy like Ricardo Hamos, who, as we said, he's good on the feet. You know, Hamos has weird stand-up where he'll throw this little backstep sidekick to your to your lead leg, which it's it's more like a capoeira style kick, which is something that Hamos 
really uses in his style, whether it's a jumping tornado roundhouse kick, whether it's a jumping spinning back kick, a hook kick. You know, he'll go for these wild kicks. They don't normally ever land. Sometimes he can use them to close range and then land his his punches. But the main thing he's looking to do, his bread and butter, is to slip one of your punches as, as you overextend, tie you up, get you into a scramble. Ugh, excuse me. <sighs> oh, sorry. Get you into a scramble. And then in the scramble, wind up getting his hooks in and taking your back, flattening you out, getting your neck, connecting the hand to the bicep, the other hand on the opposite shoulder, and getting the rear naked choke victory. That's what Hamos wants to do. And with LGO, if it stays on the feet and it stays at range, he's going to have a little bit of trouble with Hamos because of the wild spinning back kicks, the hook kicks, the round kicks, you know, the, the awkward style and the one-twos and the in-and-out movement of Hamos. Hamos isn't just a grappler, even though that's where he tends to find the most success in his game. He likes to fight on the outside, you know, stay on the inside, boom, boom, hop, hop in, hop out, you know, and then he waits for you to overextend on a punch. Then he can take you down. As we said in the whole beginning of this, this breakdown, like a minute ago, LGO's problem against a guy like Hamos is he's not afraid to stay in an over-under or a double-under clinch position up against the cage and wait for the opponent to tire out. That is dangerous. That's a dangerous, dangerous game against a guy like Hamos, a guy who can wait for you. You know, he'll pull you off the fence and trip your leg out towards him, pull you down, shoot the arm across to grab the opposite lat or the opposite arm, hop on your back, and then get the hooks in and work from there. He can get a standing rear naked choke like he did against Grigori. He can get a he can get a rear naked choke on the ground. He can lock you up in, a, in different types of submissions, but the main one, like we said, is his rear naked choke. And that's what he's going to be looking for. And against Carlisle, you know, in the scrambles and the wrestling takedowns, when Bill Elgio looks to scramble, he gives up his back. And that's how he got almost got caught in that bulldog choke against Carlisle. He gave up the back. He was able to get a hold of his neck. Uh, you know, fortunate for Elgio is he was able to lay on his back towards Carlisle and then use that to turn towards the choke and then get on top and spin to the front to get the front headlock and then spin to take the back, work from the referee's position and get into dominant control or establish dominant control in the grappling exchanges and on the top position on the ground. Bill Elgio is a good grappler. He's good on the on the top. He's good in the scrambles. So it's not like Elgio is going to get submitted immediately by Hamos. But I and he doesn't really overextend on his punches except when he does that switch overhand. He likes to stand in orthodox. He'll throw the right hand to step forward into southpaw, and as you circle away, he'll land the overhand left. Then he'll go back to orthodox, double jab, right hand, right hook, high kicks from both stances. He's always going to be moving and switching stances. This is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing for him because it's going to make Hamos. It's going to make it a little bit harder for Hamos to read where he is in the cage, where he is in terms of the distance, how he's going to shoot his single legs, because if you switch stance, the single leg comes from the opposite side. How he sets up his double legs is going to change because of the constant stance switching. And that's going to be a problem. But as we said, the jujitsu and giving up your back and, you know, kind of laying and, and praying in inside of the over-under or the double-under clinch is going to be an issue for him. Um it's a very close fight, but I'm going to lean Ricardo Hamos here. 
I want LGO to win. You know, I'm a big LGO guy. I, I think he's great. I love his style. I think he's got the swagger. He's got the technique. He does get hit with some shots on the feet, which could be a problem because Hamos does hit kind of hard. But I think that the ability for him to stay in those over-under and double-under clinch positions, the ability of him to, when he gets taken down, to immediately go to his knees and give up his back is going to be a problem. He's going to give up his back. Hamos is going to jump on it and get the rear naked choke submission. So my pick is Ricardo Hamos to defeat Bill El Senor Perfecto LGO via a second round rear naked choke. All right, up next in the middleweight division, you've got a battle between the number seven ranked Jack the Joker Hermanson, who comes into this fight with a record of 21 victories and six defeats, going up against the number 10 ranked Edmund the Golden Boy Shabazian, coming into this fight off of his first loss of his professional career against top contender Derek Brunson. We already broke down this fight in the previous podcast if you listen to the UFC 262 predictions because, as you know, this fight was supposed to take place at UFC 262. However, that didn't happen. Um, somebody in Hermanson's camp, I believe, got COVID, and they had to cancel the fight because you don't want to risk anybody getting infected with COVID during the fight um, and during you know the whole staying on Fight Island. or No, it was in Houston, so what am I saying? The whole, the whole fight week, you don't want anybody – Excuse me, you don't want anybody to get infected with the virus. And, you know, it's a good, it was a good idea from the UFC. They pulled it back um, to go a week later. So this was originally going to open up the card, but as we know, we already talked about what happened with the one of the fights falling out on the card, um, or one of the fights, one of the fighters going down to the prelims. Jack the Joker Hermanson, who's ranked number seven and coming into this fight with a record of 21 victories and six defeats. Going up against Edmund, the golden boy, Shabazian, who's coming into this fight with a record of 11-1. and one. You know, this is a close fight, and I'm actually going to be changing my original prediction, which is something I didn't think I was going to do because I was very confident in the person I picked originally to win. But the more I study it and the more I see, I'm a little bit worried about their chin. So the, the, the winning... The, the the path to victory for Jack Hermanson is obviously to get Edmund Shabazian to overextend on a punch, shoot underneath, go for a double leg or a single leg, or go in that position and work your way up to a body lock, get a, you know, trip out the legs, throw the opponent down, you know, where you trip, elevate, and drop, and then go to the back and either work for one, a rear naked choke, or work for a arm in guillotine, which he likes to call the joker teen submission. Um, I think that Edmund did get exposed in terms of the grappling against Derek Brunson because he got tired so quickly. And that could have been because it was his first main event. It could have been a whole other list of, of factors that led into this. And he can easily have this happen again against Hermanson, who is relentless with the pressure doesn't stop moving forward. He isn't that technical on the feet whatsoever. His punches are not technical. They're wide. They're loopy. His kicks are sloppy. He's not there to get you in a fight on the feet, though. He's there to get you to the ground, whether it's you messing up on a takedown and him establishing top position in a scramble or him taking you down, getting you into a scramble and looking for the back to either set up the, as we said, the rear naked choke, 
or the Joker teen arm in guillotine, which he likes to get from the back. He gets you into the referee position, the referee's position with the shin on the back of the calf and the other knee on the ground or the foot on the ground on the opposite side to stop the opponent from turning in and trying to get that switch. Either turning into you or trying to get the switch that they call in uh, amateur wrestling. He's going to look to reach to the opposite side of your neck, to the opposite shoulder almost, hook the arm in guillotine, and then shoot his knee across, and then the other leg or foot goes across the back, and the, the heel goes on the hip. So you cannot pass to the one side. You cannot pass the half guard where the knee is across your belly because, or the shin is across your belly, I'm sorry, because of that heel on the opposite hip that stops the pass. And you can't go the other way because you're just turning into the choke. So you either have to get out of the position completely and pass both of those legs and then work to fight the hands, which you should be fighting the hands immediately anyway, or you just want to find a way to fight the hands and get out of that position and then wind up in a half guard and transition to full mount or transition to ha- to side control. There's a lot of different variations and, and variables you can do to get out of that. But if Jack Hermanson gets Shabazian in this Joker team submission, I expect him to get the submission and get it quite quickly. Um, the problem is his striking is not good. And Edmund Shabazian, for how young he is, I believe he's only 22, 21 or 22 years old, He's very technical, very patient, and very methodical when it comes to the striking game. He, You saw against Brad Tavares, you know, he faked the jab, faked the jab, see that Tavares was parrying and then coming back with his own jab. He would parry with the rear hand and come back with the jab. So he faked the right hand, parry, come back with the jab. Then finally he faked the jab, and then he went boom, boom, popped the one-two. It was so quick and so clean, it dropped Tavares before he even knew what happened. But when he got up from that position, you know, Shabazian jumped on him, hook, overhand, hook, and then set him up. He went with a right hand across the, against the cage, a right high kick, boom. Then he went jab, faded away from the jab because he knew that Tavares was going to slip that way to avoid the right hand, slip to the outside of where the jab would be to avoid the power right hand, and he ran right into a lead switch high kick. And it dropped Tavares, and he got the first round finish. So... He's very good. He's very patient. He's very clean and dangerous. And he's got a lot of power. Even in the Brunson fight, he landed on Derek Brunson early and hurt him. He stunned him and could have got the finish. But obviously, Brunson's wrestling and top pressure and the the top game was a problem for him. And like we said in my previous prediction, I said that Hermanson on the top of Shabazian is a nightmare. Yes, he's good at scrambling, but scrambling will open up submission attempts for Jack Hermanson to, like we said, either set up the rear naked choke and take the back, set up the Joker teen arm and guillotine submission, or get top position and work his brutal, brutal ground and pound from the top. He's got brutal elbows and punches from the top. I mean, it is just stiff shots. And if Edmund Shabazian gets stuck in that same position against Hermanson that he did against Brunson, which led him to get finished, he will get finished by ground and pound, and he will get finished quite early, or he will get hurt with the ground and pound, and then Hermanson will jump on the neck and get the guillotine or the rear naked choke. However, I don't know what caused me to change my prediction because I see a lot of people going with Hermanson, and I should technically stick to my guns here. But watching the Marvin Vittori fight, Vittori does not have nearly as much power as um, Edmund Shabazian does. 
or he just hasn't showcased it yet in his career. But he was able to drop him with a straight left, and obviously opposite stance for um, Shabazian. Shabazian and Hermanson are both orthodox fighters, so they're both going to be looking to land the jab and the right hand. And some of the best weapons from Shabazian, or his best weapon, is that one-two aside from the high kicks. He got caught with the one-two against Vittori, got dropped, and got hurt. Shabazian is patient, he's intelligent, and he's very smart in his approach. So he knows that if he drops Hermanson, to let him back up. And I know Hermanson will probably sit on his back and try to play the guard, like, come here, hop into my guard, but... Shabazian is smart enough, I think, in my opinion, to drop him and let him back up and then get a finish. I think that Hermanson is going to leave himself exposed on the feet. I think he's going to land that one-two down the middle, drop Jack. He's going to conjure him back up to the feet. He might go to land one or two ground and pound shots, but I wouldn't even tempt fate like that. He lands the punch. He lets him back up, says, come on, get back up to your feet. And then he's going to land another combination, probably a one-two hook. High kick, one, two, one, overhand, lead high kick, right hand, lead high kick. Land the one, two, drop Hermanson and get the TKO. So I'm changing my original pick, which usually doesn't go well for me, but knock on wood, this time it'll change the pattern. And I'm not one to normally change my pick, but I think that Edmund Shabazian's striking is too crisp and too clean. I think he has too much power. I think he's going to drop Hermanson, hurt him, and finish him in the first round via TKO. So my pick is Edmund, the golden boy Shabazian, to defeat Jack Hermanson via a first round TKO. And like we said, I could completely bite myself in the ass with this one, but we're going to find out. All right. Up next, we have a fight in the women's featherweight division between Felicia the Phenom Spencer, who comes into this fight with a record of eight victories and two defeats, coming off of a title loss against, well, a title fight, a losing effort in a title fight against Amanda the Lioness Nunez, that is Felicia the Phenom Spencer, going up against Norma the Immortal Dumont, or the Immortal Norma Dumont, however you want to say the nickname. Um, she's coming into this fight with a record of five victories and one defeat. I see a lot of people leaning Felicia Spencer here because of her superior jiu-jitsu game, or her so-called superior jiu-jitsu, her ability to lock up a triangle choke, her ability to fight from the guard and, and get into scrambles and use the uh, butterfly sweeps and use the scissor sweeps and the scissor uh, with the shin on the belly and the other leg around the uh, opponent's leg to uh, hold them and then use that to, to kick over and kick your legs like a scissor to get in top position and work from there. Um, I do think that Felicia Spencer does have the better Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I do think that's a problem. Her striking is not pretty to watch. She's not the best striker. She does have some decent kicks, which is something I think you're going to have to watch out for. She loves to land that lead body kick. So look out for the lead body kick from Spencer or a 1-2-1 one, one lead body kick. One Superman, Superman punch into the lead body kick. Look out for that. I think that can definitely be a problem for Norma Dumont when she tries to uh, strike, and that could keep her off of, uh, keep Norma Dumont off of Spencer, even though I'm not technically banking on the opinion that she's going to want to keep Norma Dumont off of her. I think she's going to want to be in close or be as close as she can. 
So, when it comes to the fight, um, like we said, Spencer coming off a loss to Amanda Nunes. She could take a shot, man. If there's one thing you could say about Spencer besides her great Brazilian jiu-jitsu and grappling game, she can take a shot. She can take a punch. You know, she took a countless overhand rights from Amanda Nunes. Brutal left hooks, the one-two down the center, and just didn't stop moving forward. You know, she kept on coming and, you know, doesn't quit. Her heart can get her through this fight. Her superior jiu-jitsu and grappling can get her through this fight. However, when you look at a girl like Norma Dumont, she's very, very good. She's very technical. She's very good at range management on the feet and distance, and she likes to move, and she'll step back and step back and switch her stance as she's moving backwards so the opponent doesn't know where the power is coming from. She's got good kicks to the body, good kicks to the head, really, really solid low kicks, which I think can be a problem for Spencer if she doesn't catch the kick and then shoot a takedown. Um, she's got a good you know, jab, Superman punch at the right hand, left hook, one, two, and step back. She's very good at knowing what range she needs to be in to have the most success in a fight. And I think that's a recipe for disaster for Felicia Spencer. If she gets her to the ground, I think she can lock up a submission, but you forget how good Norma Dumont is at setting up trip takedowns in the over-under position, tripping out and getting into top position. Um, inside reap takedowns, that is something that Ricardo Hamos uses very well too, which is something I failed to touch on. Or I might have touched on it early, but I didn't explain it as well as I should have. Very good with the inside reap from the over-under position or the double-unders. You go, you know, you reap. You go inside the leg, reap out the leg, and push your weight forward to trip out the base of the opponent and get in top position. She's very good with that, and she's good at maintaining top position and maintaining control on the top when she gets into that you know, area of the game. With Felicia Spencer, she's just not good on the feet. She, Like I said, she does have some good weapons she can use, such as the lead body kick, such as the uh, the one-twos, the blah-blah-blah, and then the low kick, blah-blah-blah, body kick. But she's really just going to be looking to set up the takedowns, looking to set up clinch attempts, looking for Norma Dumont to overextend on a punch, get inside, work into the clinch, you know, trip her up, get her to give up her back, jump on the back and get a submission, or look for her to trip up, get taken down, and then work from the top and look to set up ground and pound, which can open up the avenue for an arm bar, an arm triangle, a rear naked choke, a triangle choke from the top. Um, Norma Dumont does not want to be on the bottom against Felicia Spencer, which is something we've established multiple times throughout this breakdown. But when it comes to the prediction for the fight, I'm going to go with Norma Dumont. I think the Immortal just has – she's so good at the range management and knowing where she needs to be in terms of the stand-up game to land her shots and get out of the way of the opponent. She's got big power. I think she can hurt Spencer, but I don't think she's going to land hard enough to hurt her enough to discourage her and uh, finish her. I don't think she's a powerful enough striker to get a finish. But the fight – that she lost, or the fight that she had previously was at 135, and she missed weight by four and a half pounds. This is her natural weight class. It's Felicia Spencer's natural weight class as well. But I think we're going to see a more refreshed and, and a better Norma Dumont here. And I think Felicia Spencer isn't good enough to have the tools to find the avenues to get into range and get in and close enough to get these takedowns on Dumont. I think we see a point-fighting style of fight from Dumont, I think she uses the jab, the one-two, the one overhand right, the left hook, the the low kicks, the jab, the jab, the one-two, switch stance, straight left, right hook, straight left, Superman, body kick. 
I think we see all these combinations and the clean and crisp striking of Norma Dumont. And I think it cruises her to a decision. I think she's able to keep Spencer away from her. I think that if it goes to the ground, I think that Spencer can actually be on the receiving end of a takedown from Dumont. And Dumont might be able to do some good work from the mount on the ground. She's got good control, good ability to grapevine the legs and work from the top. Um, I don't think she wants to be there necessarily, but I do think if it does go to that area, she can do well in that term of the fight. So I'm going to go with Norma Dumont to get the victory via a decision, a unanimous decision, 29-28, possibly 30-27 over Felicia Spencer. All right, the next fight is a heavyweight bout between Justin Badman Taffa, holds a record of four victories and two defeats, going up against Jared Van Dera, who comes into this fight with a record of 11 victories and five defeats. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this fight. This will probably be a four or five-minute breakdown at the most. Um, Justin Taffa, this is all I'm going to say, and I'm not even going to talk about previous fights. From what I've seen from both guys, Van Dera is, is a lot less active on the feet, and he's a lot less technical with his shots and sharp. Justin Taffa is sharp and clean with his shots, and there's so much power in them that I think it's going to be hard for Vandera to see the shots coming. Maybe Vandera can try to shoot in and get a takedown or work from the clinch to tire out Taffa, but I don't see it happening. I think that Vandera is pretty good defensively with his high guard, but I think it's just going to be it's not going to be good enough to deal with the power and the speed of Taffa. I think we're going to see Taffa land the one-two step back, boom, right hook, or step forward into the overhand right, and uh, it's going to be too quick for Vandera to see. He's going to get hit, get dropped, and get finished. I think it's going to be a quick fight. I don't expect it to go past the first round. Um, I know it was kind of a shitty breakdown, but I just think the speed and power of Justin Taffa and his ability to set up shots from a technical standpoint is something we don't see from a lot of the lower-level guys in the heavyweight division. So I'm going to go with Justin Taffa to get the victory via first-round knockout. I think the speed and his ability to switch into that power right overhand or power step-back right hook is going to catch Van Dura coming in, drop him, and get the finish. So my pick is Justin the bad man Taffa to get, to get the victory via a first-round knockout. All right, now we get to the co-main event of the evening, a battle in the women's strawweight division between top five ranked contenders. The number three ranked, Yan Zhao Nan, who comes into this fight with a record of 13 victories, one defeat, and one no contest, going up against the number four ranked, Carla Cookie Monster Esparza, who comes into this fight with a record of 18 victories and six defeats. Now, when it comes to each of these girls' last five fights, Carla Esparza is 4-1, and one, and Yan Zhaonan is 5-0. and oh. um, Zhaonan obviously coming off of her last victory against Claudia Gadelia. And then we'll look at their resumes really quick because I think it's important. Let's see. Yan Zhaonan's last fight. She defeated Claudia Gadelia via decision. She defeated Karolina Kovalkiewicz via decision. She defeated Angela Hill via decision. She defeated Sayuri Kando via decision. And she defeated Viviane Pereira via decision. So she's a decision fighter. And then you go back, she defeated Kylan Curran via decision. So like I said, five fights in a row. When you look at um, 
Carla Esparza's last few fights. She's on a win streak right now, but her last win was coming over Marina Rodriguez, who just defeated Michelle Waterson in the main event a few weeks ago. Let's see. So her last fights were a victory over Michelle Waterson via decision at UFC 249, a victory over Marina Rodriguez via decision at UFC Fight Night 174, a victory over Alexa Grasso via decision, a victory over Ver Verna Jandriboa via decision, and then the last fight she lost was to Tatiana Suarez via third-round TKO at UFC 228. And then before that, she lost to um, Claudia Gadelia via decision. So based on MMA math, Yan Nan should beat Carla Sparza because she defeated um, Claudia Gadelia and Gadelia defeated Sparza. But as we know, MMA math doesn't work. It never works. Um, when you look at this fight from a stylistic standpoint, Esparza wants to get, get Zhao Nan down to the ground. She wants to take her down. She's quick with her takedown entry. She's relentless with the pressure with the takedowns. That can be a problem for Yao Zhao Nan because, as we've seen before, she has gotten taken down, and she does sometimes tend to give up the top position and stay on her back and try to work off of her back. Um, that can be a very, very big problem against a girl like Carla Esparza who's going to constantly be shooting takedowns. So whether she gets it in the first, second, or third round, eventually Zhao Nan is going to give up the position and let her work from the top and constantly just poke and prod and pressure and, you know, just keep trying to get the takedowns until eventually Zhao Nan's like, you know what, I, I can't do this anymore. And, um, like, I'm done. And I'm done, and I'm just going to sit here until the round ends or sit here until I can find a way to get back up to my feet. And that's a big problem against a decorated wrestler like Carla Esparza. Her striking has come a long way from early on in her career. She's very quick. She does keep her hands up, and she has good movement laterally and forward and backward. She's got good forward movement, good backward movement, and good lateral movement. Uses a lot of fakes and feints. And if you overextend on a punch, she'll shoot. If you throw a lazy kick, she'll shoot a takedown. She'll hike it up in a single leg, transition to a double and shoot. She'll go to the over-under position and trip your legs out. She'll go to double-unders and trip you. You know, shoot a double leg, run the pipe. Shoot a single, transition to a double, run the pipe. She's very good at switching takedown attempts and chaining them together until you give up. She might miss one, two, three of the four takedown attempts, but the fourth one she's going to get you, and usually you're not going to get up. Um, when it comes to Yan Zhao Nan, or Zhao Nan Yan, how, however you want to say the name. I think it's Zhao, I think it's uh Zhao Nan Yan. That's how you're actually supposed to say it, if I'm being correct. But I think that one thing I've noticed from Zhao Nan is even when she's stuck on her back, she's got very good elbows and punches and and tries to land ground and pound off of her back with the elbows, with the punches. That is something we're going to see here, and it is something that has worked against Esparza in the past with a girl in Marina Rodriguez, who, as we said, just came off of a huge victory over Michelle Waterson. She was able to, even when she got taken down, land vicious elbows and everything like that off of her back in punches and cut up Carla Esparza. Yan Zhao Nan can do the exact same thing, but Yan Zhao Nan wants to keep this on defeat. There's one weapon in particular that I think can work very well for Zhao Nan in this fight, and that is the sidekick from the front leg, whether it's to the head or to the body. I would I would essentially try to use it to the legs as well. We don't see her do that too much. Use that sidekick to the knee like a John Jones 
to keep Esparza off of you, but it is a little bit more dangerous to go to the legs than to go to the body with a girl who's as decorated a wrestler as Esparza. I think Xiao Nan has the advantage in the speed on the feet with the hands. I think she has the advantage in the combination striking. She does keep her hands really low, and when she comes and throws her combinations, her head is kind of stationary in one spot, and she goes with straight punches. One, two, one, two. One, two, two, one. You know, one, two, three, one, one, two. It's just bah, 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 and then ending with a kick. She kind of reminds me a little bit of Zhang Wei Li, except I think Wei Li is a little bit more technical and has a little bit more power in her shots than Yan Zhao Nan. I don't really know who's going to win this fight. And you're like, well, why are you giving a prediction? It's going to go one of two ways. Either Asparza is going to catch on to the timing of Zhao Nan, shoot a takedown, catch a kick, take her down, work from the top position and do that for three rounds or two out of the three rounds and either get a ground and pound finish or get a decision. I would lean more towards decision. Or it's going to go the opposite way. And Zhao Nan is going to be able to keep her off of her, keep her at range, land the sidekick to the body, the sidekick to the head, the one-twos, the low kicks, the one-two. She goes, she's really good with the one inside low kick, one-two inside low kick, like we see from Zhang Wei Li, where she uses that inside low kick to drag you into the power right hand. Her hair punches are straight, her punches are clean. Her defense isn't that good, but she uses head movement. Her defense in terms of keeping her hands up isn't as sharp as it could be is what I'm saying, but she uses backward movement and pulling back away from shots and controlling the distance to then step back and pop up, boom. And I think that can be a problem, and that's where I'm leaning. And another reason I'm leaning towards Zhao Nan is because of her ability to work off of her back even when she gets taken down with elbows, with punches, elbows, and scrambling back up to her feet. I'm going to go with Zhang Zhao Nan here to get the victory. I think she keeps Esparza at, at bay, lands the one-twos down the middle all day, lands that sidekick to the body, and then fakes it and goes up to the head. One-twos, one-two-three, pivot. It just keeps Esparza at range and keeps her from getting in close enough to shoot takedowns, which is where she wants to be. She keeps it at her range. She keeps it in her wheelhouse. I do think she gets taken down once or twice in this fight, which could be enough to get the victory for Esparza. But I think her elbows, her punches, her ability to push off and land elbows from the bottom is going to make Esparza a little bit hesitant just because of how badly that hurt her in the Marina Rodriguez fight, even though she did come back and win. So she can push through it, but I do think it's going to be a problem against Xiao Nan, and that's going to lead it to stay more on the feet. And on the feet, it's Xiao Nan's fight to win all day. So my pick is Yan Zhaonan to defeat Carla Esparza via a, I'm going to go with a split decision. I think it's going to be pretty close. So Yan Zhaonan to defeat Carla Cookie Monster Esparza via a split decision. All right. Up next in the bantamweight division, we have the main event of the evening between the number three ranked Rob Font coming into this fight with a record of 18 victories and four defeats, going up against the number four ranked former bantamweight title challenger, formerly undefeated fighter Cody No Love Garbrandt, who comes into this fight with a record of 12 victories and three defeats. This is a fantastic fight, and it's one of the best fights of the year. I cannot wait for this fight to go down. I said it early on in the podcast. I cannot wait to see how this fight plays out. I cannot wait. And 
it's such a good fight. They're very similar in their approach in terms of them being a boxing-heavy fighter. Both guys are looking to land the jab. Both guys are looking to land combinations with the hands. Both guys like to use those low calf kicks and the low kicks. You know, I would say Cody Garbrandt is the better wrestler, but we don't see him use it too much because of his speed on the feet and his ability to cut angles and pop, 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 and land these quick one, three, four, five punch combinations, usually ending with a hook. He's good at countering outside low kicks with a right hand left hook. He did that against the Sun Sal. You, they land the kick, boom, boom, right hand left hook on the counter as they bring their leg as they bring their leg back. Um, Rob Font obviously coming off of a huge first round knockout over Magic Marlon Marais. You know, putting him out in the first round. Cody Garbrand coming off of a big knockout victory in the second round against Rafael Asuncao at UFC 250 back in June 2020. Um, both these guys have been, have had long layoffs in their career. Cody Garbrandt is coming off of almost a year long layoff due to complications with COVID-19. He had, if you go back and listen to his interview with Brett Okamoto on YouTube, you can hear some of the trials and tribulations he had to go through and, you know, not being able to walk right and not being able to lay down and terrible vertigo and, and, you know, no cardio and his ability to work out was just severely, severely compromised for months at a time. And that's why it took him so long to come back for this fight. And it's just, it's been a rough road for Cody Garbrandt. He was previously on a three-fight losing streak, 0-3. He came back and snapped the streak with that vicious knockout of uh, Rafael Asuncao, where he ducked down, put his right hand on the cage, Ducked down, make it seem like he was going to shoot. Asuncao tried to counter the level change with a with a right hook. Boom, got countered with a left hook. He went boom, boom. I think it was actually a, a right hook. Got countered, left, boom, dropped him, and uh, got the walk-off KO. And it's a big win for Garbrandt. And this is a big fight for Cody and a big, big fight for Font. Um, let's look a little bit at a little bit of the stats for the fight, and we can break it down from there. Give me one second. Okay. Um, here we go. Let me go to event. And we are going to give you the stats for the main event. All right. So when it comes to the stats, here is how the tail of the tape syncs up. When it comes to their reach, or let's look at the height first. They're both equal height, 5'8". Both guys are the same height. When it comes to reach, Rob Font has a 6-inch reach advantage over Garbrandt. Font comes into the fight with a 71.5-inch reach compared to a 65.5-inch reach for Cody Nola Garbrandt. When it comes to the leg reach, it's a half-inch leg reach advantage for Rob Font. Um, half an inch leg reach isn't going to make too much of a difference, but it can in close ranges where his head might be just out of range for a kick or his body might just be out of range for a kick from a back step or a pivot or an angle change. Um, when you look at the win percentages, wins coming by way, a knockout 41% for Rob Font to 83% for the former champion Cody No Love Garbrandt. 24% of wins coming by way of submission for Font, no submissions for Garbrandt, and 35% of his wins coming by way of decision for Font to 17% of wins coming by way of decision for Cody Garbrandt. 
Garbrandt's more of a knockout artist than is Rob Font. Rob Font is more of a volume striker, a very clean technical boxer, a very clean technical mixed martial artist. He's got good takedown defense and uh, good ability to work on the ground, but he mainly wants to keep it standing and work his jab. Rob Font has one of, if not the best jabs in all of professional mixed martial arts. And the jab is going to be a big key in this fight against Cody Garbrandt. Let's look at significant strikes. 5.21 significant strikes landed per minute for Rob Font compared to 3.35 for Cody No Love Garbrandt. Significant strike percentages. Font is not only the more accurate, the more accurate or more active, but the more accurate striker. 42% of his significant strikes land for Rob Font to 37% for Cody Garbrandt. Uh, strikes absorbed per minute. Uh, Garbrandt's a little bit better defensively. 3.83 strikes absorbed per minute for Rob Font to 3.33 for Cody No Love Garbrandt. And then when it comes to defense, like I said, Garbrandt's a little bit better on the defense. 65% defense for Cody No Love Garbrandt to 62% striking defense for Rob Font. When it comes to the grappling, takedown averages per 15 minutes, Font is actually the more active and more accurate with the takedowns. Um, 1.2 takedowns per 15-minute fight to 0.84 for Cody Garbrandt. 36% accuracy for Font to 33% for Cody Garbrandt. But Gar neither of these guys are looking to shoot takedowns. But Font is a little bit more readily acceptable to shooting these takedowns. Takedown defense, this is where a big, big discrepancy comes in. 48% takedown defense for Rob Font to 100% takedown defense for Cody No Love Garbrandt. Submission average 0.75 for Rob Font to none for Garbrandt. Garbrandt uses his wrestling defensively to keep the fight on the feet, try to land his brutal power, land his combinations, and knock you out. Um, Rob Font is obviously working with Tyson Chartier, Kelvin Cater, his striking coach, Jake Manini. Um, also, we have had Rob Font on the podcast twice. I was not able to get him prior to this fight. Hopefully, I can set something up and get him after this fight. And I've had Tyson Chartier on for an interview and Jake Manini. When it comes to the wrestling, Garbrandt doesn't use it that much. However, he did use it against Dominic Cruz, which was one of probably, no, it definitely was the best performance of his career in a five-round clinic against Dominic Cruz. The footwork, the movement, the speed, dropping Dominic Cruz with a left hook, a left overhand hook, dropping him with the right hand, but boom, dropping him, you know, landing these vicious shots, just being out of the way of all the shots, boom, 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 cutting angles, being on the angles of Cruz's awkward footwork and movement so that Cruz had to turn into Garbrandt, and then that would set up the power shots and the combinations, and he couldn't land anything. Garbrandt was on another level. Now, prior to his last fight, he made a camp change and started working with Mark Henry, who coaches guys like Eddie Alvarez, Marlon Moraes, and Frankie the Answer Edgar. I see a little bit of a, of a similarity between Frankie Edgar and Cody Nolove Garbrandt. Not in terms of the power, not in terms of the speed, but just the way they approach the fighting game. And more specifically in the last fight against a sun south for Garbrandt, the way he was moving and, and switching left and switching right, you know, going one way, then going the other, boom, boom, you know, faking, fainting, stutter stepping, moving backwards, you know, constantly trying to poke the jab, boom, boom, right hand, left hook, you know, stepping back, right hand, slip underneath, left hook, 
stepping in, boom, right hand, slip underneath the counters. He's very good with his head movement. He's very good at stepping in and then stepping back out of range to avoid a lot of the long strikes of the opponent. When it looked, when it comes to this fight and looking at Rob Font, his jab is going to be a big, big weapon for him here. The jab of Rob Font is definitely what led to the knockout victory over Marlon Moraes. And you saw in the fight, he got taken down by Marlon, almost got locked up in a guillotine, was able to use kind of a reverse cradle position and land a knee to the body, get out, get back up to his feet. And immediately when he got back up to his feet, they both landed a jab at first. He did get stunned by the jab of Marlon. Marlon tried to land a right-hand switch into a left high kick. Um, and then Font just kind of covered up and moved forward. It did knock him back a little bit just because of the power that Marlon possesses. And it was just jab, jab, one, two, jab, jab, jab. And the second or third jab that he landed stunned Marlon. You saw his head kind of roll back and he moved back. And then he went to change levels and boom, got caught with a jab, moved all the way back. It was a jab, slap left hook, right uppercut that dropped him. He jumped on him, landed some ground and pound, and eventually landed elbows and more punches to get the knockout. Rob Font can use this jab against Cody Garbrandt and set it up. And that's going to set up everything in this fight. However, one area Garbrandt is very good at is the speed. I think when it comes to this fight, it's precision beats power and timing beats speed. Rob Font's precision and timing with the jab, the right uppercut, the right hand, right hand into a left hook, his timing and precision is what I think is going to make the difference here. Garbrandt is quick. Garbrandt is fast. Garbrandt is also precise, but he likes to be in somewhat close range to land his combos. He doesn't fully extend on his combinations because they're so quick. It's kind of like if you see a boxer you know, trying to work out their shoulders and they'll throw those uppercuts and then it's, ah, ah, end with a left hook, ah, end with a right hook. You know, it's working those. That's kind of how Garbrandt fights. He'll move around. He'll fake, boom, pop the jab maybe once or twice. Pop the jab, right hand. Do, 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 one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, lead high kick, one, two, three, four, low kick. You know, it's, it's all quick, powerful combinations and eventually it'll set up the big power shot. Boom, 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 and then boom with a right hand. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, with a left hook. It's always going to be those quick combinations. I think the speed is going to be a problem for Rob Font. I do. If he lets Garbrandt get into the range where he needs to be at. Um, one thing you saw Garbrandt do against a Sun Sao was use, and he's done it in other fights as well, use that calf kick. He was very, very good with the calf kick. The calf kick for both Font and Garbrandt is going to work wonders because of their boxing-heavy style and boxing-heavy approach. When you're heavy on the lead leg, you're going to get caught with those outside low kicks. You're going to get caught with the inside low kicks, and those calf kicks can really change the direction of a fight quickly. Very, very quickly, they can change the direction of a fight. And I think that the calf kicks are going to play a big factor in this fight. I expect Garbrandt to try to counter the jab of Font with the calf kick. He's very quick. He's very, you know, his speed. He's going to have a speed advantage here. But one thing I think is Rob Font's jab is so clean and so crisp. It's going to be hard for Garbrandt to see it. And I think that when he throws that calf kick, Rob Font's maybe going to fake the jab, faint it. They'll see Garbrandt load up for the to throw the calf kick, and then boom, he's going to pop him with the jab. And then boom, he's going to pop him with the jab. And then once Rob gets going, you see him kind of roll his shoulders, and he moves forward. He's very good with kicks off the break. His jab, he likes to switch jab to switch into southpaw, land the right uppercut, 
land the right straight. So he'll go jab, switch right, uppercut into a left high kick. He'll go jab, right hand, switch stance, left uppercut, jab, right uppercut. Use that uppercut to switch stance and get the outside angle on his opponent. The best weapons for, for Font in this fight is the jab and the right uppercut. Because I think we're going to see Cody try to mix in his wrestling and his takedowns. Maybe counter the jab, fake step inside, go to get a double leg takedown. Maybe fake and faint, shoot a double leg and get a takedown. If Garbrandt uses his wrestling more in this fight and mixes it up between the boxing and the wrestling and the kicking game and really fights a complete fight like a mixed martial artist, he can definitely, definitely cause problems for Font and work his way to a victory. Here's how I see the fight going. I know Garbrandt is calm. He's more calm. He's more patient now. But against a Sun Sao, he didn't really get hit clean more than maybe once or twice. So we can't really go into the into the history books and say Garbrandt is such a better fighter now. He's so much more calm. He's so much better. It looked like Cody Garbrandt 2.0. I'd say it was Cody Garbrandt 1.5. I wouldn't go 2.0 yet because he didn't. He did get cracked once. By a Sun Sao, he got countered, stepping in with the right hand. His hands were low, and he got hit with the straight right. That's something I think Font can uh, capitalize on is getting Garbrandt to think he has him hurt. And then when he steps in, boom, right hand, left hook. Um, I think we could see that from Font here. But here's how I see the fight going. I think the, the jab of Font and the use of his fakes and feints is going to make Garbrandt a little bit hesitant. I think early on we're going to see the swag of both guys. Both these guys have a lot of swagger. Both of these guys have a little pep in their step. I think we're going to see him step in and try to land the jabs. I think Font is going to get a little bit outstruck in the first round. I think it's going to be kind of close, but I think Garbrandt's going to land the jab. He's going to land the combinations, land body kicks. He's very good switching to southpaw and landing the left body kick or a left high kick. Look out for that from Garbrandt. Um, I could see that playing a big factor here. If he uses the wrestling, Garbrandt can win. Um, if he lands on the chin of Font, we've never seen Font really get hurt super, super bad here. This is going to be one of the most powerful punchers he's fought aside from Marlon Morais. But precision beats power and timing beats speed. I think the precision of the jab is going to make Garbrandt, you know, fall short on his range in terms of the striking acumen, in terms of the striking battle. He's going to try to get the combinations and Font's going to counter with the jab. The jab's going to make head hesitant for Garbrandt to find a way to come in. And eventually he's going to get frustrated. He's going to step in. Maybe he'll fake a takedown. He's going to get caught with that uppercut. It's going to hurt him. He's going to get backed up one, one slap hook, right uppercut is going to hurt him. Boom, boom, one, two. He's going to get dropped and uh, get finished by Rob Font. So my pick here, is Rob Font to defeat Cody No Love Garbrandt via a second round knockout? This is a tough fight for me. I'm a huge fan of both guys, and I would never let my, you know, relationships with the 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 camp out there in Boston talking to Tyson Chartier, talking to Jake Manini, talking to to Rob Font. I'm never gonna let that affect my pick for the fight. Um, you know, I I just go from how I see it from a technical standpoint. And I just think Rob is so much better with the jab. He's so much better with the straight punches in the boxing. Both of these guys are some of the best boxers in the division and some of the best boxers in the sport. But the clean, the cleanness of Fon's jab, his ability to switch stances with the combinations. He's never really fought anybody who switches stances. 
you know, mid combination. Yes, Dominic Cruz does, but he does it in a different way. Font hides it a lot better than Dominic Cruz does. He's a lot less telegraphed with his footwork changes and his stance changes and movement. I think it's going to lead Garbrandt to get over emotional, you know, come in to try to go for the kill, get countered with the jab, jab. He's going to step in, get over emotional, right hand, left hook, right hand, jab, right uppercut if he shoots a takedown. I'm actually going to go with an uppercut to finish this fight. I think Font's going to hurt him on the feet. You see Garbrandt kind of get a little bit hesitant and be like, oh, what am I going to do? He'll try to counter the, the punches of Font with an with a, um, a level change. The level change will lead right into that switch stance, right uppercut. It's going to drop Garbrandt in the second round and lead to a second round knockout victory for Rob Font. All right, that's it for my predictions, guys. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed. I know these are coming out late, so I got to get these up as quickly as I can. The Touch Em Up podcast is available anywhere your podcasts are distributed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Breaker, and many, many more. Please leave a review for the podcast anywhere you can. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, mainly on Apple. Please help me get up. We're at five stars right now. I only have about 10 view, ten reviews. So please leave a review for me on Apple Podcasts. You can check out some of my YouTube videos. I have breakdowns on fighters such as Peter Yan, Conor McGregor, um, you know, Eljamain Sterling versus Corey Sandhagen. I have a breakdown on Khabib, a breakdown on Dustin Poirier. I have some of the best most technical breakdowns, the fight between Marlon Vera and Sugar Sean O'Malley, some of the best breakdowns in the history of MMA technical breakdowns on YouTube. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. Have a good night, everybody, all right?